Welcome back to the Uptown Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alan Hall. Rosemary and I were down in San Antonio at American Clean Power Association's Clean Power 2022 Conference and Exhibition. And while we were on the show floor, we had three outstanding interviews. And so we're going to bring you those interviews to catch everybody up on all the, the comings and goings of Clean Power 2022. First off is Matthew Stead, who's the CEO of Ping, and Matthew describes some of the new improvements that are going into the Ping system. Uh, our next guest is Kenneth Carter. He's the editor of Wind Systems Magazine, and he, can, he provides us some insights on all the comings and goings on the show floor that week. And then last but not least is Nicholas Gardern, the chief technical officer of Power Curve, and Power Curve has been working with SkySpecs on a new system to look at the damage to a, a, a blade, a leaning edge erosion, uh, those kind of pieces of damage, and to determine what the AEP loss would be from uh, bugs, dirt, debris, leaning edge erosion, blade damage. They all have an influence on AEP. And instead of just guessing at it, now Nicholas and the team at Power Curve are actually going to take those drone scans and combine it with all the knowledge they have of blades and be able to predict what the AEP loss is and is it enough to really matter? Do you need to fix it or just let it go? And so that's a really good addition to the, the technical knowledge of blades. So these three interviews are really interesting. Uh, it's worth the time to, to sit through all three. They're about 15 minutes each. So as we recover from <laughs> Clean Power 2022... You can relax and enjoy some really good guests on the Uptime Podcast. Rosemary and I are here at uh, ACP 2022 in San Antonio with Matthew Stead from Bing. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Rosie. <laughs> Thank you. We're um, the Australians uh, outnumbering you today. Yeah, it's two to one, right? <laughs> it's usually, it's just the numbers are reversed typically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 so we've been walking the floor. Everybody's been walking the floor today, kind of checking out all the activities going on. There's a good number of people here. It's huge, it's yeah. massive. It's, yeah. it's, it's big. It's uh, overwhelming, in fact. <laughs> It, it is. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. It is a little bit overwhelming. We've been to a couple of conferences this year, nothing anywhere near this size. And as uh, Rosemary's been pointing out, there's just there's solar, there's batteries, there's all kinds of monitoring systems. But today we want to talk about the monitoring system that really matters here, which is Ping. Uh, so, Matthew, you have a couple of really uh, new pieces to Ping. Uh, plus, you're, there's been some news on deployments. You want to. Tell us about some of the new developments you have. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Um, so about a month ago, we released our ice detection system. So we model ourselves on what wind farm technicians hear and see. Yeah. And we know that wind farm technicians can hear when ice builds up. Sure. So you're using the inspiration. Um, we've worked out our algorithms and our codes to put on our device. So you know, in the past, we've been listening, and we still do listen for blade damage. Mm. But now we're listening for ice, and so early detection of ice buildup. So it, it's the, then the, the thought process is as, as ice accumulates on the blade, it just makes more noise, so then we, we know 
basically shut it shut it down? Is that, is that the process? Yeah, so there's probably a few aspects to it. Yeah. Um, early warning of ice buildup is helpful to then trigger actions or the next steps. Mm -hmm. So um, to be honest, uh, there's a bit of work to be done on the next steps. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. And that's probably the expert of others, including maybe Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be careful I don't say too much that I don't know. Um, but really, um, once you know there's ice, then you can make decisions. Do you keep running? Do you keep running for three hours? Do you shut down? Mm -hmm. Or you know, what, what is your action from that point? Sure. Um, so I think um, what we're offering is a very efficient and effective way of knowing when the ice is there in the first place. Right. So it's basically the same unit as we all know and love. It's, a, it's the, the ping unit that's magnetically attached to the base of the wind turbine. So is it just a software upgrade to the to the ping unit or yeah, is it hardware? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like listening for a different thing. So oh, okay. it's, it's purely a firmware update. And okay. the neat thing with our, our tech is we can update it remotely around the world. Oh, really? So we don't have to go and travel and we love to travel, but <laughs> um, we don't have to go to each one of our 650 devices and upgrade the software manually. So it's all, basically, if you want to add on that, that icing provision, you just make a phone call to you? Like, Call, yeah, or email, phone call. Or email. Yeah, I might be asleep, so. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, yeah that, that's the way we're working it up. Um, we're planning for the Northern Hemisphere um, sure. winter that's coming up. Yeah. Um, I think everyone's just getting the hang of summer, so yeah. don't want to talk about winter too much. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we're working towards. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because uh, obviously, yeah, I worked on de-icing for nearly five years when I was at LM Wind Power and worked with a lot of ice detection sensors. And there's plenty of options out there, but other than the power curve method, where a manufacturer will, you know, look at what power curve, yeah. what power production they would be expecting versus what they've got. There's no other sensor that's really so, I don't know, uninvasive, so retrofittable, like yeah. easily retrofittable. Because um, I was using some other sensors and a lot of them work well, but you have to actually put them on the blade. So, you know, like you mentioned, I know one wants to think about icing in the summer, but definitely that's when my <laughs> projects were always, you know, that's running you have to get prepared. flat oh, yeah. out, trying to make sure that, because you're always trying to install before the winter because, you know, you want your whole winter period and we're working in sites like northern Sweden or Canada where access is not that easy um, for a construction project during the, the winter time. So, you know, you've got to make sure you've thought of everything before the project gets installed. Whereas this is another kind of sensor that you can install after the fact. Yeah. If you, if you want to, it just goes on the tower, yep, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think to use it in combination, like none of the ice detection methods are enough on their own. They've, they've all got pluses and minuses. So I think... Yeah, yeah, we'll have to, you really need to get some good good data, a good partner to project with to see um, who you can, how you can use this, yeah, this exactly. new, yeah. new information. Because yeah. it, is, it is adding quite a different kind of information than, you know, the sensors that you would stick on the blade or there's other ones that are measuring the natural frequency yeah. of the blade and seeing when that changes and estimating the weight. So, yeah, it's all kind of pieces of the, the puzzle. So I'll be, yeah, interested to to get a look at some data and yep. work with some someone from operations and yeah, see, <laughs> see what you can do with it. Yeah, I think um, we went to Winterwind um, where we launched the product in Sweden and um, one of the OEMs was there and they, they talked to us about you know, many sites. You know, they think about icing, they think about is it going to be a problem and is it enough of a problem that it's actually worth doing something about. 
Yeah. And he said, what happens, what can happen and has happened is someone goes ahead, doesn't do the ice package and finds out they're in trouble. And then what do they do? And then yeah. retrofit of existing systems is a real it's nightmare. Really hard. But it's, it's real, really problematic because um, when you're siting a, a wind farm, um, you, you know, you do an icing assessment, your, your bank will require you to do an icing assessment, but that incentive is that you want to find out that there's very minimal icing because yeah. that makes your project look much more attractive so the people doing the site assessment the resource assessment kind of incentivized to tell the client what they want to hear yep. which is that there's low icing and i talked to so many um, operators who are discovering after the first few years of your operation that they're they've got 5 10 15 sometimes 20 percent um, annual energy production loss from icing when their assessment said less than five percent mm. and kind of the rough rule of thumb is less than five percent you wouldn't bother yeah. heating your blades because you know it, it costs money to put the system in and it costs maintenance you know it's not as mature the blade heating systems aren't as robust and reliable as the rest of a, a wind turbine um, and so yeah below five percent you wouldn't bother but then if you actually turn out to have ten percent then you're like oh my god now I'm losing what do you do? millions of dollars yeah. a How do you year. Retrofit it? Yeah. yeah yeah and retrofitting there's some options but there aren't good ones they're either yeah. really expensive or really ineffective so yeah it's um yeah it's still it's still a real ongoing problem yeah yep so Matthew you have 600 odd units out in service already. I think it's 650 now. Oh, 650, okay, yep. very well. Uh, and the, the data you're getting back from those, you, you seem to be able to correlate, kind of like with the icing piece, you seem to be able to correlate damage, categorize damage. As, so you can tell when a blade is at category three or category four damage. And that's has, has that been correlated? I know it's one of the big subject points here at this conference is, trying to get a categorization, a uni unified standard on damage. Is that something that the ping unit can do? Um, yeah, in some ways we're trying to steer away from that a little bit. What okay. we're trying to do is more trending. So um, as a, perhaps a starting point, um, we're not categorizing individual damage, we're categorizing the total damage. So, on each blade? No, the total turbine. Total turbine damage. So we're okay. looking at the total noise Total okay. turbine. So therefore, the individual categorization sort of doesn't make as much sense. Okay. And so what we are trying to really do is show when there's a change. So if everything's okay. static, well, actually, is anything changing? Do you need to do anything? Right. It's really only when things are changing that you need to start thinking about, you know, how fast is it changing? What's changing? What is the damage? So I think rather than trying to have an absolute accuracy, we're actually trying to be better at long-term trending over six months, 12 months, 18 months. So that's really wow. what we see key strength has. Yeah. So what's, what's the feedback you're getting from the field? What are the things that your customers love about Ping? Ease of installation. Well, that's obvious. <laughs> I yeah. think my daughter could install it if she wanted to. <laughs> In fact, she's done some testing unpaid. Um, <laughs> sorry. How, how old is she? Uh, 17. Okay. <laughs> is that legal in Australia? Yeah. Okay. My first job at 15, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's all legal. It's all good. Um, so ease of installation is one of the key things. Yeah. Um, the next thing is knowing what's going on between visual inspections. Uh, that's what they really love. Is really rather than just sort of flying blind throughout the year or every whatever every other year or whatever the time period is. Right. Um, and the next thing is really honing the inspections to the turbines that need it. Yeah, mm -hmm. not yeah. all turbines have damage on their blades, so. You know, do you need to put as much effort into those or do you put your efforts into the ones that are more damaged? So I think they're the sort of three key things that people love. Wow, okay. And so what are the next developments? I know you've been working on the icing piece for 
a number of months. Yeah. What are some of the future projects? Can you tell us? Can you give us a little insight on some of the new things? That yeah. Are coming? Actually, perhaps I'll. Um, so we we were first inspired nine years ago to do the acoustic monitoring of damage. Right. We were first inspired to do ice detection four years ago. Oh wow! Okay. So it's actually been a long-term project that we've been working sure. on. Um, and I can also say that we've been inspired by someone called Alan to measure when a tower has been struck by lightning. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> it's just my opinion, but I think it's a great idea. So yeah. we were but already towers getting struck. We mean when a the, turbine, uh, yeah, when yeah. a turbine gets struck. You, you hear the actual event, or you hear the effect of it. Ah, no, we're going to switch from acoustics to yeah. magnetic fields. Uh huh. So currents create a magnetic field. We're going to sense the magnetic field. Okay. So if you if you know when a lightning strike occurred, you can find out all the parameters. There's many, many uh, monitoring sites that actually measure lightning strikes across the U.S., across the world, actually. Okay. So you can get all the parameters. You just gotta make, you can tell them roughly where the strike yeah. occurred, which you know, because the, the turbines are moving. Timestamp. And, and a timestamp. If you yeah. provide the timestamp, they can provide the rest of the data. And then you'll be able to say how, how like the magnitude of the, the strike. No. No. <laughs> no, I'm just going to give a timestamp. Oh, okay. And then you can call uh, <laughs> yeah. Vaisala, or I forget how they pronounce her name, Vaisala. That they will, they can provide the data. There's a number of actual sources yeah. for that, but yeah, okay. they can provide all the data. They can tell you peak current, uh, energy, specific energy, all the lingo around lightning. So how do you need they to do that? They have. They, they have, they have their ways. <laughs> well, they do. It's just sort of top secret. It's kind of derived out of the nuclear industry. But essentially, they have a bunch of monitors. But you mean they're monitoring the, the whole US. globe for the... And the globe, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And I don't know about Australia, <laughs> but I can tell you, at least in the United That's States... That's why we're here. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it is... I mean, I know it's a problem. Uh, I moved back to Australia about well, nearly a year and a half ago now, and um, it, lightning is one of the things that people talk about a, lo a lot in Australia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know... If the lightning is like worse, bigger. or yeah, it's like Texas, bigger, right? or, bigger. Yeah, I know Japan. I've always oh, heard Japan. Massive. You know, has you can't just put a normal turbines lightning protection system in Japan and think no. everything's going to be just fine. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Australia's like that, but definitely lots of people are talking about lightning, complaining about lightning. Not quite sure what's going on because they thought there was a lightning protection system, but they keep on having blades damaged by it. And then, you know, when someone like me comes in and tries to help, um, you know, be an intermediary in the root cause analysis process so sure. that the owner can understand what the manufacturer is doing um, on the operators. And, you know, people don't have their lightning cards installed or their, no, you know, like the, the, there's cards. always questions. Well, we don't actually know. We don't actually know if there Much was a strike or how big it was or yeah. anything. And then the squabble over who pays is... Um, very challenging when you don't have yeah. that information. So, yeah, it seems like that's why Australia the that's is why the right the, market. Yeah, the timestamp is important. Yeah. So, right. knowing what's happening. And the lightning card doesn't give you a timestamp. And a lot of times on some of the blades that get damaged, the lightning card seems to disappear magically. Yeah. So. Yeah, very, very often. Right? Am I right about that? Yeah. yeah I mean, I can't tell you the there. number of times of the last year where they had a big damaging lightning strike. They went to go pull the card, card doesn't exist. Okay. So we're starting mm. off from ground zero mm. again. Mm. Can you tell me when the yeah. lightning strike occurred? In the last yeah. week, well, that makes it hard. Yeah. yeah. Right. Also, so. I was speaking to someone here today um, around insurance, and they were able to confirm to me that some sites are not able to be insured for lightning damage on blades. Yeah. 
because the, the premium is so high because the um the they're risk, so frequent there the risks or, are so yes. high yeah yeah so i think this is a really obviously a big challenge for the industry yeah, yeah. it is yeah. and the, the thing we're missing is data on turbines yeah. We have the sort of global lightning detection network, but what we're missing is the specifics. Yep. On each blade, if we know the times, we can really correlate. And it's actionable data I mean, for the OEMs too, because it, that, that loop should feed back into these are the kind of lightning strikes you're seeing, this is the repetitiveness of it, this is the wind turbines are in Kansas or in Australia, this is the frequency, all those variables, we just don't have the data set really yep. figured out yet. And particularly as the, as the turbines get taller, it's going to change dramatically. Yeah. So it's 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 good action on your side, and and I know Ping is growing, and, and it seems like you're hiring pretty quickly right now. I've been watching a lot of the, the companies at the ACP this week. There's a lot of hiring going on in, in wind energy and renewables. Yeah. Right? Absolutely, yeah, it's great. So you're you're looking for who are you looking for right now? Um, well, we've actually just got four people onboarding right now. There so you go. You know, okay. three just joined us. Another one's joining us in a couple of weeks. So wow. yeah. So, so things growing. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Well, Matthew, it's great, great to have you here. It's actually great to see you in person. Yes, it's great to be here <laughs> and meet, meet you both of you in person yeah, as well. Yeah, it's funny. We, sh we should have met already by now, but we haven't. So not in person. Have to yeah. travel around the world. I actually met someone from Melbourne for the first time. So <laughs> here. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Thank well, you. Yeah, it's thank great you. to be here. Yeah, great, thank great you so to much, you. Alan. Thanks, Rosemary. Yeah, thanks. Lightning is an act of God, but lightning damage is not. Actually is very predictable and very preventable. Strike Tape is a lightning protection system upgrade for wind turbines made by WeatherGuard. It dramatically improves the effectiveness of the factory LPS so you can stop worrying about lightning damage. Visit weatherguardwind.com to learn more, read a case study, and schedule a call today. All right, we're here with Kenneth Carter, editor of Wind Systems Magazine. Uh, Kenneth. We know one another because you've you've actually published some articles about lightning protection, right. which is super cool. But we we we're down at uh, ACP 2022. We're down in San Antonio, and uh, you know we're a site that publicizes a lot of news articles and tries to get really deep into it. But you're you're way deeper than we are. And Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're knee deep in it, right? So the 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 wind the wind industry's changing. It's evolving very quickly mm -hmm. now because of this. Uh, Pushed by the administration to, to put more wind out. What, right. what, is, what are some of the things you're you're seeing? Because you're you're seeing sort of the whole picture. Well, I'm seeing a uh, really push for offshore wind, yeah. and uh, that's what everybody's buzz and everywhere is talking about offshore offshore wind. Yeah. And uh, I just learned today that uh, they're also pushing for uh, offshore wind in the Gulf, which I did yeah. not know was a big thing until today. Uh, all brought about by the governor of Louisiana asking for a for a. a uh, a study done by Boehm, so I was. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to diving more into that and uh, maybe doing an article on on that aspect of offshore wind that I did not know was even uh, happening. Mm. So yeah, the 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 Louisiana uh, offshore in the Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. that, that seems pretty obvious, right? Uh, because it has so much well, off, oil uh, and gas there. Actually, yeah, that's part of the uh, push for it. Uh, now that the technology is is increasing, where uh, they can do more turbines in the, the low wind areas. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's why they're such a push on the Atlantic coast for offshore because of, of, the, of the wind. Yeah. And uh, now uh, with the Gulf, though, you've got a, a hurricane challenge because right. uh, it's kind of like a magnet yeah. for hurricanes, it seems. Yeah. So uh, that's part of the uh, what they're looking at. But I think the technology is there where it shouldn't be big of, that big of a problem. 
if they can get the turbines in the water. So Rosemary, I mean, that's one of the issues about uh, the Gulf of Mexico is the speeds are lower. So that means they're going to have slightly different turbines, right? I mean, they're going to have to have bigger blades to kind of generate the power they want. Is that essentially what's going to happen? Yeah, usually they'll make a you know, platform kind of um, arrangement with the turbine. So they'll have the same generator and then depending on the wind speed, they increase the, the blade length. So yeah, a low wind speed site will have longer blades. Yeah. So try and keep everything else the same to keep costs down. But that's a big challenge to make a blade that is efficient for low wind speeds and also can withstand hurricanes. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. it's yeah. not really a challenge to make it, it's a challenge to make it economical mm -hmm. because yeah. obviously it's, um, yeah, the blade is mostly designed around the extreme loads um, and not really right. around the, you know, the average wind yeah. speeds. The blades aren't, you know, aren't under that much stress in an average wind speed. Well, the consensus yeah. is that uh, in the Gulf, the winds are higher around Louisiana, northern Texas area. So that's oh. what the, that's what their areas are focusing on. I'm not sure you'll see it around Florida or Alabama necessarily or Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. could happen, but uh, probably not for a while. I would think. Mm. So it, with this push towards offshore, what are some of the issues you're seeing so far? I know there's a lot of offshore where we are, but Massachusetts, mm -hmm. uh, New York's getting a lot of wind turbines installed. We already have, already have Block Island up right, and running. Right. It, there seems to be sort of two challenges from what what we're seeing is one is the OEMs are kind of struggling because of the, the cost. And, and the second is they're getting pushed to put a lot of wind turbines up, mm -hmm. but there's there's, a competing nature there that they can't seem to find a good balance on right. it. What, what are you hearing on the floor here today? Like, where do people think that wind is going? And uh, well, they're definitely pushing it for the Atlantic side because the continental shelf is easier to put, oh, uh, true. To yes. put those turbines in the water. Yeah, you're looking at West Coast, you've got a, a much quicker drop off, so you're going to have to deal with floating wind turbine, which is a whole Pretty new quickly. technology right. and still developing. I think it's going to be really cool once it gets off, off the ground or out of the water that is. Mm. And uh, but uh, and there's lots of lots of, of uh, research going on in that area. Uh, they've already leased a lot of the the uh, the area off the Atlantic coast, so uh, it's just waiting for final approvals, uh, which is yeah. you know a bunch of red tape. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you're going to see because the, the goals are just crazy uh, for like, in, by 2030, I guess, what is it? I can't remember the exact number. 30 gigawatts uh, by yeah, 2030, yes. yeah. And, uh, but the strides they've made since then is uh, is pretty impressive. So I, I think they yeah. can do it if everyone can get on board and, and get all their guts in the row, as it were, and, and get it and get it uh, uh, moving. Yeah, it, it's, it's part of that uh, sort of 30 for 30 goal realizable at the moment. I, mean, I, I, I see kind of conflicting articles, mm -hmm. like a lot of projects are not going to happen until later. There's, they're bringing in brand right. new technology. And the new, wind turbines are brand new. They've never been tried anywhere in the world. So right. we're just doing basically a clean sheet. Well, there's a lot of European models that they're that they're based that they're basing that on. Sure. So, uh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, Europe, Europe has a lot of lot of experience with offshore. Yeah. And so they're bringing a lot of that the expertise in to uh, to help with that. Uh, the the thing that I see happening. Uh, it's to, I, th I think, uh, well, of course, of course, COVID also kept us kind of, yeah, flat, you know, yeah, kind of flatten the curve about of the yeah. of the growth. I think I saw I was in a, in a. Uh, a seminar uh, this morning 
talking about how 2020 and 2021 growth was kind of the same, which is what, yeah. what they don't want. Right. Uh, but they see 2022 kind of pushing it back up again. But mm. but there's still a lot of COVID fears out there with the supply chains, just messed up stuff. It's all, all a big chain reaction yeah. that uh, they're going to have to deal with before they can get things uh, really smooth and operating and becoming, uh, uh, moving up. Yeah. And do you see all the growth in offshore, or are people still no, no, developing no, no, onshore? No, still, they're still doing onshore. No There's still a lot of land in the U.S. That's plenty of that, I mean, because Texas is a perfect example. Yeah. I think uh, Iowa's uh, their their growth is amazing. Uh, so yeah, you're still going to see a lot of onshore stuff. Uh, offshore is not going to be the, the the end of it. Uh, so because uh, mm. there's so much there's so much land that is available that uh, is perfect for uh, for wind. Yeah, and do you, what? constraints do you see in onshore when the uh, rolling well, out as fast as people would mainly like? Mainly policy. I mean, you've got to, and you've got to, and when you've got to go into these uh, these areas and and uh, talk to the people who live there and say, hey, this is a good thing. And uh, that's what I see more happening because a lot of people don't realize these, uh, when you build a wind farm in these areas, all that income coming into the wind farm is going out to that community, uh, funding schools, funding uh, other economic right. growth. Yeah, so it's, uh, and that yeah. more needs to get out. Uh, a lot of people say they don't like the eyesore. I personally think they're really cool. I don't understand why. Yeah. Why? I mean, you're okay with these cell towers, and but you don't like the wind towers. What's the difference? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, but uh, and I think they're much more majestic looking personally. Uh, but um, but yeah, I think. Uh, that's going to be a big driver to get, especially in rural areas, because you've got uh, some uh, misinformation out there about it that needs to be uh, dealt with. But it really is, it's a job, it's a job maker. It's an economic boom for the town. I mean, it's a win-win in my opinion. And we've seen a lot of repowering going on. Um, yes. It's down in Texas because Texas has been in the wind business mm -hmm. long enough now. Yeah. They're starting to repower those existing sites so they know they have good wind. Yeah, well, you know, 20 years is the, is the average lifespan of a wind turbine. Right. And the, the technology has just advanced so much in the last two decades alone that uh, you can you can do this, get, make the same amount of power with a, a, a fraction of the wind turbines they had in the past. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so it's great to, because they're bigger and larger and they're just more efficient mm. because they've learned from from all those decades of, of, of experience with that. And I assume that those early wind farms were, you know, the first place that you put a wind farm mm -hmm. is in the best, the very best right. site that you can find. So they're probably those right. 20 year old wind farms are very appealing, the resource yeah. that's there. Yeah, I remember 20 years ago, just driving through um, uh, Palm Springs area and yeah. just seeing just, just, just yeah. the landscapes dotted with wind turbines. It's the coolest yeah. thing I ever saw. So uh, I think it's, uh, but those are like hundreds that they could probably power the same area for, for half the turbines that are there now. Mm. And Kent, one of the things, uh, other pieces we're seeing is these power purchase agreements. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Right, it is. They're, they're massive, and it's it's big names: mm -hmm. Amazon's, Google's, Facebook's mm -hmm. that are going after that. Is that growth just going to continue? Because oh, it, I think so. I it's think like so. they're doubling down almost. Like Amazon's like really doubling yeah. down on they're renewables. They're really they're really seeing the uh, the the PR advantage of really. Oh I mean, yeah. It, it, yes, it's PR, but it's also you know it's, it's a good thing. I mean, it's a uh, yeah, so, it's positive, so, uh, right? And uh, yeah, there. I, I feel Walmart has a huge PP. Uh, and so they've they've done a lot of stuff with oh, wow. uh, clean, okay. clean power. Yeah. It's a, uh, so I think it's just going to increase because more companies say, hey. 
this is a good image for our company, but it's mm -hmm. also good for the environment and, and good for us too. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit more than PR. I see consumers are, are demanding it. You know, they right. won't they won't right. buy stuff from Amazon unless they know that that's, it's a you know a zero emissions delivery. That, that's and, true. And I think that you know is, uh, an argument that people have a lot is that you know about individual action. Is that the solution to climate change, or is it pointless to do anything on an individual scale? And I tend to think that that's one of the big things that individuals can do is, you know, support companies that are using renewable energy. And I think we've had clean energy PPAs in the past, and now I think we're starting to see not just 100% renewables, you know, kind of on average, but these 24-7 renewables where every hour of the day it's, um, you know, guaranteed clean energy which is a much harder problem. Obviously, you need to add storage and um, right. you know oh, yeah. get a lot yeah. more smart about it. I see that making a big a big change in companies that are uh, you know taking on that challenge, like Amazon and Google is mm -hmm. doing a lot. They're solving some big technical problems that aren't quite cost effective for you know government to do overall. It's true. Add, yeah. It adds a bit more cost, and so yeah, when people say to me, you know, oh, does individual action matter? I think that that's one place where you know it really really can get those companies that are making these huge profits get them to you know play their part in the energy transition at the same time well that's right during, especially during the, the previous administration you had companies and and state driven uh, renewable efforts yeah. that were really taking over what the federal government was kind of uh, kind of relaxed on for mm. a couple of years I think now with all three of those combined with the federal government having some uh, renewable renewable goals I think it's gonna fast track a lot of stuff I'm hoping anyway mm. Mm. So what is new at Wind Systems Magazine? Uh, what are some of the new things coming up? Like what's, what's, what's the latest headline? Uh, well, the, our show issue is uh, uh, what we have on the stands now. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. We have a report from uh, American Clean Power in there that they've, uh, they generously uh, wrote for us uh, for, the, for, this, for this issue, talking about the, their, their, their quarter reports that yeah. They, yeah. they spent a lot of time on, and they mm -hmm. were gracious enough to give us an article based on that. And, uh, and nice. uh, I have uh, another article in there on, on offshore wind and the foundations and, and how uh, the uh, this technology that he's talking about is a way to uh, increase the longevity of these uh, of, of turbine foundations and that uh, should uh, keep them having to be replaced or repaired uh, for for a long time. So, oh wow! So okay. yeah, it's pretty yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting actually. Um, he's a he's he's been a, a frequent contributor to us and uh, he knows the stuff and uh, he's he's very good. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, that, that's why I read Winston mm -hmm. Magazine. Is it it has kind of a good highlight of what's happening out there, but also some technical articles. Yeah, I, the technology stuff is my personal favorite, so yeah. when I came on as editor six years ago, I was like, oh, let's do some more tech stuff, because yeah. I really like that kind of stuff. And innovation, because it, it's such a, a big part of the of the industry that uh, sometimes gets looked over in, in favor of policy or in favor of, of uh, maintenance issue which is which is important but sure, uh, but sure uh, I, yeah. I like to make sure people see okay this is what's happening now this is what's going to happen next mm -hmm. hopefully uh, so that's that's my goal uh, so yeah that's what's kind of what we're working on uh, now uh, 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 that's what people and, can read now so. and your online presence you yeah oh yeah we have an online presence uh, we have a website that you can access all of our articles for the past 12 years that we've been yeah. been uh, publishing uh, and they're they're good for reference articles. A, a lot are. of people go through there to look at stuff that we've published you know, eight, nine, ten years ago yeah. that still has some relevance today. So, uh, which I, I like. But uh, but yeah. So we've uh, we've been we 
uh, everything is posted, uh, and we also have archives of the actual digital issues were there. So if you want to look at it like a magazine, it's there for yeah. you to look at it like yeah, a magazine. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, so, that's yep. nice. Well, hey, Kenneth, it's just been great to have you on, on the show here. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to read in Winston's magazine, obviously, and Rosemary will too. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we look forward to you know the new the new uh, uh, episodes going to come out, and uh, appreciate you coming on to the well, program. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. I hope uh, I was able to uh, <laughs> enlighten you a little bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ping Monitor is a continuous blade monitoring system which allows wind farm operators to stay ahead of maintenance. Wind techs can often hear damaged blades from the ground, but they can't continuously monitor all the turbines. They also can't calculate how bad the damage is or how fast it's propagating based on sound. But Ping can. Ping's acoustic system is being used on over 600 turbines worldwide. It allows operators to discover damage before it gets expensive and prioritize maintenance needs across their fleet. And it pays for itself the first time it identifies serious damage or saves you from doing an unnecessary visual inspection. Stop flying blind out there. Get Ping's ears on your turbines. Learn more at pingmonitor.co. We have Nicholas Gaudern here from Power Curve, and Nicholas has been doing some presentations with SkySpecs. Uh, they're working together. Yeah, we are working together very closely. Yes. yes in a collaborative fashion. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. So, would you like to describe which yeah. you've been working on? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, today's been really exciting because we've been launching this new partnership that we have between Power Curve and SkySpecs, and the whole premise is about making more use of this this vast amount of data that SkySpecs is gathering on all their inspections. So they're flying a drone around a turbine, they're collecting thousands of images, and this is all being categorized for all of the structural defects and any oh, kind wow. of anomalies with the blade surface, like cracks, dirt, bugs, erosion. And that's great, but it doesn't tell you anything about the aerodynamic performance of the blade. Right. So you may want to try to make a decision on how to repair a blade uh, on structural categorization, but if all your blades basically look the same structurally, the question is, well, which, which should I fix first and why? What, what might I gain? Sure. So what we've done is we've created this, um, this extra use for the data where we do an aerodynamic analysis based on all of the structural categorization that's been done. Ooh. So every single damage that has been captured on the blade and tagged by their experts uh, yeah. and their AI system, we actually have a transfer function where we're converting that to an aerodynamic penalty score. So we have this uh, this loss factor, let's call it, okay. for every every defect that we find on a blade. So we can combine that with a nice detailed aero model of the blade, uh, and we can then calculate what what the losses might be. Um, so is it like a database of you know a crack of this length, um, or maybe not a crack, but you know like a a blob of yeah. this size means a knockdown of X percent. Exactly. So if you have like a certain uh, depth of erosion or a certain size of erosion, we can we can make a penalty score for that. And those penalty scores come from a variety of different things. They come from like a wind tunnel data library Ooh, of understanding okay. you know how those defects affect performance. It comes from CFD simulation. Um, and it comes from all the, the field experience we have from, from working out there. But it all hinges around having a model of the turbine. So we actually go out into the field, uh, we laser scan a blade if we need to, if we don't have the geometry. And then we have the 3D surface. So from that, we can carry out a CFD simulation or a blade element momentum simulation. Any of these really interesting aerodynamic techniques we can apply because we know the real geometry. And then we can look mm -hmm. at before and after. Yeah. What's, what's the blade do uh, now? 
what might it do if we map this damage onto it? And we do that for everything that's on the blade. So it might be 150 damages tagged, we'll map everything onto the blade and look at the impact. So then is there like a scale that comes out? So you're, if you give uh, a... An AP number, an AP loss number. Oh. So, so for every turbine you will see, uh, this is what the calculation says you are losing. Okay. And the more data you have, uh, the better. So every time you fly around the turbine with a drone, you can update your calculation to say, well, how's it, how's it changed? How's it evolved over time? So in a sense, then, you're gathering a sort of a momentous database of leading edge erosion, visualizations, yep. correlating that to aerodynamics, to an AEP. So in a sense, will you be able to look at trends then? You'll be able to like do predictive trends. Like yep. if we're going to put a wind turbine in Texas, for example, we, we, you will have some data that says, well, in Texas, typically, it takes two years before you really care, or five years to, before you really care, and this is the time you'd yeah. want to repair and, it. And the more data you have, obviously, the the better that prediction will be. So yeah. if you have you know, a flyby every six months and you can see how things are evolving, you can then start to maybe draw some conclusions. You know, is, is Do we have some really good geographical correlations that we can kind of right. link to certain parts of the country? Uh, are we seeing certain blade types or certain manufacturers are, are seeing er erosion evolve in a different way? Because even if you have uh, two blades that are the same length on the same site, that have been maintained in the same way, they'll probably have different AP losses. And oh, that's sure. because they're, they're all unique products. They're yeah. kind of handcrafted products. So, Yeah, I wanted to ask, so you're doing your 3D scanning blades. Uh, how similar, you know, a blade that should be exactly the same as, you know, all the other ones mm -hmm. that, that are the same same blade type, how similar are they actually? Because I know, like, in the, I've spent a lot of time in wind turbine factories and you, like, the leading edge yeah. is, is hand-finished. Hand yes. um, and so, yeah, uh, are they all similar enough that the exact same aerodynamic aerodynamic yes. model works yeah, for yeah. all of them? Yes, yeah, in, from what we've seen, yes. There may be some small variations <laughs> but compared to uh, like the, the damage the erosion does to the profiles then it, it's fairly insignificant oh, okay. so if we if we see uh, from maybe from a certain factory if we scan a blade and, and there's some some significant change in the leading shape then we can account for it but we haven't actually seen that yet typically they're all they're all close enough that the same model for the same turbine just is, is applicable okay and how long does it take to um, 3d scan a blade um, typically we do it within a day. Okay. Um, wow. If it's a really good weather day and everything goes great, maybe just a couple of hours. And is it done with drones? Drones with no. lasers on them? Or? Uh, I mean, the drones <laughs> do have lasers on them, scarily enough. Yeah. Um, but they're not precise enough and there's a lot of noise in the data. So we actually use a long range architectural scanner. So it's capturing a few million points a second. Uh, so even if there's a little bit of movement in a blade, we can still capture. Typically, we'll have the blade on the ground. That, that's better for everyone. It makes it a lot uh, easier. Okay. But sometimes that's just not possible. Yeah. So if we get the weather prediction right and we get like a you know zero wind day, we can actually scan the blade when it's still on the tower. Okay, so you just need to stop the turbine and Correct. I guess you need to see the front and the back. Yeah, so yeah. we just have stop turbine, one blade down, just move the, the laser around in a few different positions and we can capture everything we need. It's funny because, you know, like a lot of times when I was working for LM, um, students often would get in touch wanting a, you know, a, a, 
a surface models for yes, their sure. research yeah. and never give it to them, never, never ever, ever. Yeah. With the newer blades, you know, there there is a bit more interesting aerodynamic design going on. But to be perfectly honest, if you look at the majority of installed blades in the world, they're all using the same aerofoils. They're using a NACA aerofoil or a DU aerofoil or whatever. Yeah. So, so in terms of like the the interest, um, I'm not quite sure always what they're trying to protect because they all kind of look the same. And okay, the profiles are stacked in a different order. I mean, I'm kind of making it maybe sound simpler than it is, but once you've designed a few blades and you've seen a few blades, it's not that difficult to kind of work out how things should yeah. We were just talking earlier about how secretive the industry was. I was yeah. over at TPI Composites. I desperately want to do a video that shows how a wind turbine blade is made. Um, and I thought TPI would be a, a good option because they make blades for a lot of people. Thought that they would have, you know, something that they could show. You'd think, you know, like a, most of the factories are still making some blades for that are quite old designs. Like, you know, like maybe they're still making a 40 or 50 meter long all glass blade. Yeah. It's not, it's not high tech, okay. you know, it's, no, no, no. A, it's a bunch of people that are rolling out yeah, rolls of, um, you know, glass fabric and then they're infusing it. it. You know, it's not rocket science and it's been done exactly that way for decades and I, I just don't see why I can't, I can't go in and film it's, it's it. It's just better to, to share these things. With yeah. The more people yeah. understand blades, whether it be the owners or the operators or the owners, then, then we can make them better. Yeah. That's the goal, right? It's to make them better, to produce more energy. Yeah. So I think that's why we really uh, are excited about what we're doing with the Sky Specs thing, because it's about understanding blades better. Mm. Uh, how can you improve them? How can you maintain them in a way that will give you more energy? So we, you know, we're not trying to knock down particular OEMs if they've got worse performance than others. With that, it's not about that. It's about the operator getting the most out of their asset. Mm. And to do that, you need a nice model of a turbine. And that's something that we're, we're able to deliver. Yeah, it'll be really interesting if you're able to build up data over time and you know, like, yeah, estimate how how damage progresses. Because I know it matters so much where the like the, the leading edge erosion is very different in you know Scotland compared yep. to in I don't know uh, inland Germany or, yep. or something. Um, so I think that would be really helpful for the industry to you know when you're planning your your business case for the life of the wind farm, you want to know how often you're going to be resurfacing your right. blades yeah, and. Exactly. Um, I think that, I don't know, the wind industry, it, it feels like they're still having the battles of 20 years ago, everyone fighting against each other for, you know, dominance in the wind industry, but energy transition now, you're not only competing against other wind turbine right. manufacturers, you, you know, you're competing against um, solar and storage and right. interconnectors and uh, maybe hydrogen at some point in the future. It's just, you know, like it, it, it's everything. Yeah. And if you can make wind as a whole more competitive, then I think that that will benefit oh, everyone. But, but also the operators, whether the OEMs like not, talk to each other anyway. Mm. There are there are all the networks going on between the operators, sharing knowledge about blade defects, uh, about erosion, about performance upgrades. So this is all being discussed anyway. So we're just, we're just contributing to that knowledge base. Mm. Um, you know, Power Curve, we, we give out uh, webinars uh, to whoever wants them on blade technology, blade aerodynamic design, because mm. it just helps people understand and make better decisions. It's nothing secret. Mm. You pick up the right textbook or the right paper, you can find the stuff. It's just not very easily digestible. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we're very keen on, on knowledge sharing. We just think it helps everyone make better decisions. So you just announced the new technology today at, at the convention. When is it available to the to the masses? So you can come and talk to us now. Uh, oh, so, okay. so the service, uh, the service exists. 
it doesn't exist in a way you can just you know tick a box and, and order it right. because you sure. know it needs to be bespoke to the customer we need to make sure we understand the customer's needs and sure. and how it fits in with how they use the horizon system today so but no you can come and talk to us now um We've already done some pretty big pilot projects with different customers. Wow. So some of the results I've presented today, they were from a, from a live project where we've, we've gone and done this. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So if you have SkySpec data already in the Horizon system, can you utilize that data now to do this analysis? Uh, or do you need to do fresh? No, 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 it's, uh, you can use the existing data. So that's the oh, nice wow. thing of the system. So if you've got inspection data going five years back, we can give you five years worth of calculations. Whoa to see how things may have changed in that time. So yeah, no no new flyby should be required unless there was some issue, but I don't, I don't see why that would be. So about half the blades in America have been scanned by SkySpecs at one time or another. So that yeah, database just, just is huge. Just imagine the learning we could get from that. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and you validated it on a one wind farm project or? Uh, yeah, so the pilot uh, validation has been on one wind farm. Over what time period? Three years. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, the project's been done in like the last six months, but we had three years worth of data to, yeah. to go through and track things. And okay, and, and you're seeing, obviously, you're happy with the, the correlation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's looking yeah. really great. It's looking like it tallies very well with all the publicly available surveys that have been done. So things like NREL papers, DTU papers, anything that's been published about the AP loss due to erosion. It, it corresponds very well with what we're seeing and reporting. Uh, and also, when we see the AP losses on the blades, it's also correlating very well to uh, wind tunnel studies we've done and CFD studies. So every, everything is checking out. Obviously, the more data we have, the more confident we'll be. But um, yeah, we're obviously happy enough to, to launch it today. We, we feel we've, we've gone through enough checks and balances, but the more people use it, the better it will be. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks like an exciting product, and I, I think it's going to have a lot of influence on the industry. and as we're all trying to squeeze out the last one or two percents of AEP, this is how yeah. you're going to do it. Yeah, well you have to prioritize your own M budget. No, no one's right. got the time or money to fix the whole fleet each year. So if you've got a turbine that's losing one and a half percent AEP and another one that's only losing half percent, well, you should go and fix the one that's losing more. Yeah, sure. And at the moment there's no way to tell that, apart from just a gut feeling. Mm. And now we're bringing a data-driven, consistent approach to that. I heard there was and it will just be updated every time you have that new data, so you can yeah, track yeah. it, learn from it and hopefully just make better and better decisions <laughs> over yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nicholas, hey, it's been great for you stopping by. Yeah, thanks. And thanks. great to see you in the so States again. So yeah, good luck, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be keeping on this new on this new technology. Great, great to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.